Greetings, friends. I'm Will Nicholas from Never Odd or Even, and this is the Deep Faith Nine podcast, exploring faith and fiction. Deep Space Nine. It's a wonderful reflective moment. Flame the dark. True salt wave. Deep Space Nine. Deep Space Nine. What's going on? Why is this being highlighted? That itself is another interesting question, isn't it? I think I'm starting to get why this science fiction thing is uh, <laughs> uh, is so attractive. You'll, you'll make a sci-fi fan out of me yet. Greetings, friends. This is Will Nicholas, and this is the Deep Faith Nine podcast. And what a amazing episode we have today! Um, I have so many guests on today's episode to help me to work through uh, this um, uh, series three twenty five facets episode of Deep Faith Faith Nine, in which we encounter a true rite of passage called the Jantara. In the Jontara, the trill uh, are separated out into their various um, life roles, and uh, the the most recent host gets the opportunity to interact with and engage with the other hosts that have been there. This is a, an exciting view into trill psychology, uh, and uh, and also surprisingly uh, for some of you, but not surprisingly for my family, a a, a look into. Uh, human psychology as well. The other rite of passage we get to explore in this episode is that of Nog, uh, and that is part of the B story. So um, we will make sure we spend a little bit of time exploring the B story as well and Nog's rite of passage and family issues. Uh, to help me with this today, I have um, a collective, um, an entity in the name of Praxis. Um, now, some of you may recognize Praxis's voice um, um, as the voice of Zach, um, but Zach is now known as Praxis, uh, and Zach has appeared, or Praxis has appeared, or maybe Praxis will let us know who has appeared uh, in uh, previous episodes of Deep Faith Nine. Um, in Season 1, uh, Episode 6 for Captive Pursuits, um, as well as on the panel to begin Season 2. Uh, Praxis, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. It's nice to be back. Now, already I think our listeners have got some questions, and the questions will be answered, I guess, naturally throughout yes. the episode. Uh, I know, naturally. Uh, naturally through the episode. Um, but uh, give us a brief understanding of the Praxis Collective um, sure. and why it intersects with this uh, episode in relation to facets uh, um, for us as we begin today. Sure. So um, the Praxis Collective as a whole is made up of nine individuals, um, all of whom have come about and are born from a condition called dissociative identity disorder. Uh, it's a newer condition in the realm of neuroscience and neuropsychology. Uh, it was once called multiple personality disorder, but it has been changed since then to greater reflect its actual condition because it's not a personality disorder. It is a dissociative disorder. Now, in that sentence itself, um, the word dissociation or dissociative is not typically known. Um, 
by the Merriam-Webster de definition, because it's fantastic to have those, uh, it is the act or process of dissociating, which in of itself is to separate from an association or union with another. So you undergo dissociation or you undergo uh, you know, separation. And what that means is that during the formative years of uh, life, usually it's – from memory, it is ages – six to 12, roughly, uh, the body and the personality is forming its own, it's, is forming itself. Um, and there are different parts of self that are used, but they are blended within each other quite seamlessly and without issue. In the case of dissociative identity disorder, there is a, uh, an instance or a series of instances that, uh, transcend a very long period of time that put up walls of amnesia, which means that those parts of self become more separated and no longer seamlessly blending into each other, which creates gaps in memory, and then due to them being very separate, creates separate personalities. So uh, specifically, you are talking with Ico of the Praxis Collective. Um, we made a decision as a collective that it would be simpler for me to do most of the talking as A, that is my job, and B, it's easier to have an individual talking to you rather than uh, the period of time in which people jump in and out, um, which has happened and does happen, and it can be quite confusing. So that's a good place to it's – a, it's a good – like starter i suppose so let me do a bit of a roll call um for you and then we can do a bit of a roll call for dax um just to compare the two remembering of course uh, now um uh, before i do the roll, okay i'll do the roll call first so flynn adam annie hank ico garon xavier joe and eddie that's it. So this episode is in no way an exact replication or one-to-one -one example of a dissociative identity disorder. It is simply being used as a vessel and subject for analysis through the lens of this condition. Excellent. And that's really, really important to establish early on. Yep. It's a bit like at the end of a movie where they say all characters in this movie are fictitious in any exactly. representation of, <laughs> you know, and, and, and it's kind of like a almost a no-brainer statement. You kind of go, well, oh, wow, I thought that there actually was a guy who had a heart right. condition yeah. who built an iron suit so that he exactly. could become a superhero. Um, but but at the same time, it's sort of – it's one of those things that goes without saying that needs to be said. It is because uh, – and specifically from Xavier's point of view because Xavier has experienced and witnessed that within modern media, there are a number of uh, instances where DID has been used as a uh, story trope. It's not – used with accurate information. Um, and I, I wanted to talk about that. I, I thought that might come up later, but let's deal with it now. Um, certainly personality, multiple personality disorder, as it was called, and I can understand why um, DID is a much better um, uh, definition. Largely, as, as I was thinking about it, the syntax, a syntax of multiple personality disorder seems to suggest that, as you were saying before, the disorder is with the personality, not with the multiple and if you actually said personality multiple disorder, then that would actually sound weird. It and would so sound that's weird. Why, that's why putting the dissociative with the disorder is actually um, yeah. a much much better way of understanding because it. Because it is in and of itself not a personality disorder. Yep. Um, the personalities are not the issue. The condition 
and the personalities themselves, sorry, are a byproduct of the condition that they are in. Now, for our own personal usage, uh, I am using the word condition rather than disorder because yep. there is a member of our condition, a uh, member of our collective, sorry, that uh, sees it, sees, has an issue with it being called a disorder because disorder. they are themselves quite organized and they see it as a means of coping with extraneous and extraordinary circumstances yes of course um, yep. so it is not uh, a because the word disorder itself falls into disordered or disorganized which yep. uh they are themselves extraordinarily organized um which we are all very thankful for and so they would feel a little cringy whenever that comes up to say yeah uh, um are you this is that would be a, so so one of the problems here is that when when people have represented this in 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 other media forms um it's the personality aspect that actually is the part that gets the focus so so often um um people uh, in in movies or in shows are actually uh with a with did are actually portrayed in in sinister or villainous ways and that's actually created a stigma of fear around um around dissociative identity yes. disorder um, it does actually at that point in of itself the stigma and the villainous alter um, alter itself is altered states of consciousness because that is what they are um, and I will refer to them as alters or members of the collective uh, Praxis I want to work through the list of the hosts of Dax and talk through the particular attributes or scenes that actually help uh, you, th that will allow you to help us to understand DID. So, gonna gonna start with Leela, the first um, um, uh, of the hosts, uh, and this one is embodied by Kira. Um, what do we find when we get to Leela? The um, sp the specific scene or the specific quote it is it's they say is uh, I hold my hands the same way that you do. Um which is more of a connection between having a host and having alters. So our yeah. system is different and unique in a way that we don't have an individual host that embodies other people. Yes. Um, but most systems usually have a host and that host can exhibit uh, traits or personality um, quirks of individual alters themselves and in um, your experience then um without a host though certain postures mannerisms and and yeah. tones of voice actually manifest themselves through. yeah yes yeah, yeah. So, and that, that, that allows others to to get a grasp of who they're talking to as well yeah of, of who may be at the front but also who may be nearby yeah. um because people who are nearby still have an influence on the individual at the front because we are all very Influence people. All right, so keeping it moving, Tobin, uh -huh. <coughs> the second uh, host, played by yep. O'Brien. Cool. So that is the chewing of the fingernails and uh, the excessive apologizes, excessive apologies, as well as confusion and even surprise at the continuation of the individual's work. Um. Yeah. So for our experience individually, there is one of us that enjoys using art as a medium to process the emotions of not only themselves, but also those of the entire system um, as their role as our sort of, I guess the equivalent would be a chaplain um, or something similar. They, they become equal to help process the emotions and the feelings. And there's a warning in here from Tobin as well um, in that um, what physically happens to um, one while they're driving remains physically there. So chewed fingernails, um, damage from 
boxing or fighting. Yeah. Yep. Um, having to, uh, you know, consult on haircuts or, you know, yes. anything. Um, Whose idea was this? Like, yeah. Exactly. That's <laughs> very much what it is, is, you know, you, you'll wake up somewhere and go, wait, we have, like, our desk is moved. What? Who did this? Yeah. So... Okay, Emony, played by uh, Lita. Lita, yep. Um, yep, tell us about her. So her specific scene is to look at – well, when Xavier was doing his analysis, he was looking at the very interesting take on the characteristics of the condition. Uh, the first scene, being Lita, uh, provides an example of the changes in physical characteristics depending on who is currently active. An example for our system is that uh, Xavier has to wear glasses in order to see. If he doesn't wear his glasses, he re- he, get- he gets uh, suffers from very 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 severe headaches and migraines. Uh, mm-hmm. Flynn is intolerant to uh, lactose from milk, meaning that if he has those, he has his own issues. But there are others who can have those individual things and not experience that. So I don't need to wear glasses. Yeah. Neither does Hank. Neither does, you know, anybody else in our system except right, be, for Xavier. It'd be a fascinating psycho- psychological paper that could be written on the science behind that. Hmm? I mean, lactose it, intolerance coming and going. I believe it has been written uh, or there, there is a paper being researched because I know there has been brain scans done by a system in, I want to say America, but it may not be. Um, but there, there is definitely there is definite brains. The difference in uh, brain scans depending on who is active. Now, as well as that, Emily um, seems to suggest that the choice of Lita um, has generated less dysphoria for her because the body type that she's in is similar to the body type that she sees herself as. That is it. That's it exactly. All right, uh, so then we've got Audred. Um, now, we'll just talk about Audred quickly. Audred, um, as we mentioned, uh, is played by Quark, and yep. there is uh, some interesting stuff about remanifesting or, or yeah. uh, ex- exerting control. Tarias, played by Julian Bashir. Interesting, he has a broad American accent instead of actually uh, his British accent. He does. Uh, and there is a sense of confidence, assurity, um, and um, and um, brazenness about him, so he's very yeah. different. Um, very very different, yeah. and that is uh, that's that's in of itself a very good signifier of or an example of um, different alters or different uh, facets of self. Because uh, Joe is much more blunt, and uh, I, I would I would say confident, but not in the same way as myself. And then Hank in his own way, is confident again. So they're, they're very different and very significant changes between the three of them. Uh, but also having to navigate uh, with Tarias going back to that, the fact that um, if one of us wants to eat differently or eat better or act differently or act better, then all of us have to agree to it. Yep. Now, now there's also an issue about, like, food. So food is for the nourishment of the physical body, but also... There's a there's an art there's a flavor there's a there's an experience of food there is an enjoyment um, and so so that might mean that some alters get to eat and other alters don't get the experience of eating so what we've had to do in that instance in that circumstance is to uh in the broader sense, share around the food. So if we're out at dinner somewhere, we may organize to switch multiple times throughout the meal so that people can try something. Um, 
it's also it's been very pertinent specifically for uh joe and hank who before our crash i think it was referred to as um only ate for fuel so for them food was fuel they never enjoyed food they didn't get to enjoy food so now they're being given that opportunity and that is changing the way they feel about things um it's also really interesting to talk about the fact that hunger changes depending on the person so a person may be because your appetite is entirely uh mental it's not it's not a physical thing you you mentally have the hormone that goes out that says i am hungry and different people produce different amounts of that so i don't eat very much hank eats quite a bit so balancing the two of those together in order to maintain a healthy lifestyle that's not going to be problematic in terms of health wise um does quite does take quite a bit of doing yes yep no that's good now um getting on to the dark side here joran benjamin cisco um a sense of self-doubt self-loathing uh and imposter syndrome yeah so that in and of itself uh the this section is naturally dramatized for purpose as it is the the climax of more or less the episode it's supposed to be dramatic because it is a dramatic thing however um the xavier's initial planning uh was deciding that it was just a dramatized scene that was designed for the purpose of providing tension and drama uh however during a closer assessment of this can be seen as an example or a display of persecutors persecutors are specific altars that are designed to keep particular abusers sated by holding their belief that if they internalize and subject the body to the same behavior as when the abuser is around to when they aren't it will be better and cause the uh it will be better and better in the long run so persecutors can cause the body to self-harm engage in other threatening or dangerous behaviors um, due to upholding the belief of following what the abuser wants, if that makes sense. Yep. Absolutely, yep. And there's a real wrestle there. Um, ben has to fight to gain control, and it goes backwards and forwards. Um, and we're tricked, I think, in this episode into thinking that the real nemesis that we're going to in, 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 in encounter in this is, is Joran, when in fact the real threat to the collective is the last one we'll talk about now, and that's Curzon. Curzon, Curzon offers the largest threat to the collective um, of, of all of the others. Yeah, he, he does offer the largest threat to the collective because um, – the collective as itself, as they grow and as they learn, at least from our experience, we rely on each other to do things. So mm-hmm. if one of us goes dormant or wants to leave or, you know, it, that's probably the closest thing would be going dormant, which would be being removed from active duty. Um, we lose a section of who we are. We lose yep. a section of a, a set of skills that we have, including a number of memories attached to that. So there is an extended period yeah. of time that is entirely forgotten because somebody has decided that they would rather be uh, non-existent than have to be part of a group. And the Guardian says, in relation to this, the Guardian says that the balance will be restored over time, but the loss will be experienced. So that's actually a really interesting quote. It is, yeah. It's it, it is that it's it's that same kind of 
it harkens back to the same kind of theory that um, if an altar goes dormant or if there is integration, that altar dies. And so there is grief for that. And that grief is experienced even though the body will maintain what's happening and fill in gaps. Um, so last of all, and we we, we haven't really talked um, about Judzia at all in this one, but no. Judzia experiences something – um, very differently um, in in this in that that um, gets to experience independence from from the voices that are actually always there or the the, the altars that are always there um, and and um, is uh, able we might think that the goal of all of this is complete co-consciousness but but the reason for DID is that co-consciousness doesn't serve the collective. Um, all the time. Hmm. Co-consciousness is a thing that needs to be used as a tool. It, it's a tool. It's one of the many tools that we have as part of the condition. Same as you know, switching amnesia or partial amnesia or uh, what Hank calls censoring. Um, yep. It's a tool that's used. Uh, it's really interesting that um, one of the things that we re- recognized the system after watching this episode was that we had actually had dreams. Um, in which we were our independent individual selves and we got to experience individual independent life. Um, mm. So that is a, a – and in talking with other systems across the across the globe, they also have a similar dream to that. Jadzia, who is the current um, uh, host, has said, has said um, several times that, that she really struggles with the co-consciousness of the different lives that are existing – um, within herself and and has trouble sorting them out one from the other um, and that they assert themselves at times of need when when they're necessary necessary um, so I guess I mean this is where some of the similarities appear and some of the differences appear as well it's yeah. definitely where the similarities and differences start to make themselves known similarities being that uh, we are capable of and in fact, um, actively use co-consciousness in our everyday life uh, because people do have different skill sets. Um, I am able to speak in front of a crowd without an issue. I don't have problems with public speaking or with stage fright or with those kinds of things. But if you were to get someone like Hank or Joe to stand in front of a crowd, they would feel extraordinarily out of place. Um, similarly, if you got me to be uh, in a farm or doing something with my hands, I would also feel extraordinarily out of place because we have different skills and different roles. Um, In terms of their lives and asserting themselves, uh, they do have their qualities. In previous uh, systems or in systems that are younger uh, or less developed, I want to say, um, there is more of a chance of there being an impulsive switch or an impulsive assertion. Um, however, through grounding and focus and basically understanding and communication across all members, you can make it much easier to uh, decide who is going to be fronting and who is going to be active. So yep. we actually um, – end up managing time specifically so that, you know, for instance, after on a Wednesday evening um, from 
five till nine, it may be time. It may be Joe's time, and Joe can come out and be Joe. Um, and people who know us closely will know that that is what is going to happen. Um, but that does not mean that it's always going to be that way, because occasionally things can happen internally that mean that uh, those people are tied up uh, with work they have to do internally. Or life happens and something is required externally that exactly. means that one of the others is better to be there. Exactly. So we, we did get a, an assertion, in, an example of an assertion in this episode where, where uh, Quark um, asserts his personality back over the top of Audrey. He does. Um, does. How did you find that scene? Was it was – it, uh, um... I actually have a, a segment. Uh, this scene with Quark can be very easily written off as comic relief and filler for the episode, striking a comical beat that Quark was hesitant to go through with the procedure. However, if that were to be the final understanding of this scene, we would miss something exponentially more significant. Audrey, in Quark's body, reacts as if she can verbally hear Quark when he states that he would like to speak. This is an everyday occurrence for us as a system and a collective. Uh, going shopping, deciding on lunch, even picking out clothes that we want to wear. Um, everybody has their own individual preferences and occasionally they will voice them um it is also significant to address the fact that quark, quark briefly switches in and there is no uh over dramatized or full body change um in terms of the switch the instead is done in the space of an ordinary breath um this itself is an entirely accurate piece of information um but also so is the alternative so as a system being slightly – we're working to be a slightly more overt system, meaning that we are participating in what's called functional multiplicity. So we are fully accepting and fully aware of the fact that we are a multiple. That is what we are. Um, and occasionally, we will either switch very quickly um, from one person to another, or we will make an over-dramatized switch. I say dramatized in the loosest sense of the word, it is a telegraphed switch so the people who are around can go, okay, someone is changing. Um, it's more or less for everybody else's benefit because we can quite simply switch within steps. Um, in fact, we've had to do so walking down the street, going from one person to another um, without the break of a, a step. Um and certainly, um, you know, the the acting of Amin Silverman here, um, you know that something has has changed, but it's not theatrical. He hasn't over-dramatized it. He's brought it to the surface. Um, so you're aware there's been a shift, but, but the shift is actually um, made up of subtle po postures, body language, and tones of voice. Yeah. Um, so Xavier has written here, he's got a number of timestamps, the first one being at 9 minutes and 50 seconds, with the quote, uh, the commission decided to force the issue, uh, which he, they have used as a segue to talk about how a DID goes from being a covert condition to a very much more public one in safer circles. So uh, what Xavier means by this is that DID in of itself is a covert condition. You could go your entire life without knowing that you have it or knowing that it exists. However, in a situation where uh, you feel safe or something happens and someone needs to assert themselves completely rather than just lending in a metaphorical hand, um, it becomes obvious. And when it, once it becomes obvious, you then have to decide whether or not you are going to remain covert or become a more overt system. Uh, for us, this happened um, – 
at the outbreak of uh, the initial wave of COVID-19. Because in the space of a seven-day period, we um, the outbreak started, we lost our existing job with our with our previous employer, and we were also told that we had to move house. So those compacting stresses and things on top of each other effectively meant that uh, Zach broke externally. Zach broke externally, and it was it, someone else was needed to pick up the pieces to continue moving. Uh, in that instance, it was Hank. Hank came out for I believe it was maybe the first couple of weeks. Uh, to make sure that we were in a safe space and we could be a safe space. And then once it was safe, we started exploring individuals asserting themselves, um, which has, you know, been, been fantastically good. And we will be experiencing our first, uh, I want to say, system birthday or so uh, in August because we are not even one year old yet, which is uh, fantastic that we're able to do what we can do. Um, now, the next of Xavier's dot points uh, is at the time is at the timestamp of 11 minutes and 30 seconds uh, which is the phrase a few questions uh, now it's not done exactly to the extreme of what it's of what it is to the what it is within the episode basically what this is is the um, I don't remember the specific name for it but the person who is the guardian, there we go. The guardian is assisting both Jadzia and Leela to make sure they are accurately grounded within the bodies that they have, and to make sure they are uh, reacquainted with the external world. We do this quite often um, using p sources of grounding and uh, procedures in which we can make sure that we are grounded externally and know where we are and know what's happening, uh, whether that be by looking at a screenshot on our phone as to the list of things we're doing, asking someone we're with uh, what's happening and you know what we've missed, um, or just simply taking in the environment ourselves and you know going through a list of particular things. So is that a bit like, you know, if you're watching MasterChef, right, and uh, I don't know if you've watched any MasterChef, but sometimes they do the cooking relay, and one of the cooks will be cooking the, the, the course, and then after an allotted period of time, they have to leave, and they get a small brief amount of time to brief the next person as they come in to take over the cooking, um, and, and then that person has to actually go, okay, look, based on what I've just been told and what I can see in front of me, we're making cheese toasted sandwiches. Yep. Um, is, is it similar to that? So it is and it isn't. Um, it's similar. It doesn't – it's – whilst it not being similar to that, it does lead into the next thing that Xavier has written down. Uh, the way that it is similar is because um, – when you're the, the spaces externally and internally internally are very different. We do things very differently, and we have active lives internally that we don't have externally. So we're not just sitting in a void doing nothing. Um, we have things that we're doing. So going from doing one thing and then coming out and doing something else is very different. Um, Xavier's next timestamp is eleven minutes and fifty one seconds, which is the phrase "memories temporarily removed." Uh, and one of the individual tools that is present within the condition is a tool called selective amnesia. Now, I'm saying it's used as a tool 
because it's used by Hank, who is our chief protector, as a way to future-proof the safety of flashbacks or extremely severe episodes of re-experiencing, as well as a phenomenon that we refer to as switching amnesia, which effectively is what you're talking about, the, the loss of information as one person goes from fronting or being actively conscious and aware uh, to another. Many systems implement certain safety nets in order to deal with this. So for us, we have, um, again, like I said, the screenshot on the phone or uh, a person that we can ask a number of questions to, or internally we have a notepad written down that says, this is what we're doing, this is what's happening, and this is what's just happened. Um, it's, it's more of a report as to why uh, there has been a switch, what the switch has occurred because of, and what we're doing. Um, yeah, so that's that piece of information. Now, this this is this is where I guess there is a huge difference between um, DID and the Jintara, uh, in that the Jintara is a uh, a short controlled rite of passage for the purpose of um, of of the Dax symbiont being able to reach an integrated point um, of understanding of itself when. You experienced your your incident that 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 broke Zach, as you say. Um, I guess, I mean, in the moment you had to had parts of facets of your alters had to step in to actually keep the system moving, um, um, and then after that you made a conscious decision to to continue to explore yourself as a collective rather than to seek um to seek a reintegration or 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 was it more that there was a discovery of something um that was always there but that was being masked or passing because of a sense of normality so that is actually a very interesting point the um it was very much a discovery of something that already existed so you asked or you, you didn't ask you alluded to the fact that uh Praxis may inform you as to who spoke at the individual episodes beforehand for your for the podcast here. Um, and looking back on it, we can actually confirm who was at particular events, who was doing particular things, and how things were happening. So, for example, uh, I believe it was. I'm trying to think of the episode itself. Um, I don't believe it was Captive Pursued. I believe it may have been the Siege, um, which in and of itself was uh, Flynn. So Flynn enjoys cinematography and is uh, one of the younger members of our system, and so he's still growing and learning and experiencing things as normal. They would be our uh, nog, if you were to put it that way. They they had their kind of rite of passage and their uh, level of uh, understanding and controlling as needed by older people and people who do... Uh, more protective measures. So it, it wasn't that something, you know, existed from nothing. It was that something was discovered uh, and was, you know, basically unveiled to Zach, um, which was unveiled to Flynn, I suppose, if we're going by the host naming convention, um, which was that we're always here. We have always been here. It's just that we were needed to be uh, more or less invisible so that things weren't complicated before we were safe. Well, I'm really grateful that um, you're making the collective visible to us today because I imagine that um, for many people who are listening, this might be their first encounter with such a candid conversation 
um, about um, DID. I want to move on to the faith aspect of this, um, and and this 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 is actually I, I think potentially the dark side um, of the way that normality treats people with neurodivergence. So, so um, w- without a greater understanding of this, some people might suggest that you're just making all this up, or that you've got a really vivid imagination, um, and and that um, you really just need to knuckle down and and um, straighten up and fly right. Um, um, and and I'm not saying that to be harm- no, 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 hurtful, but but I'm really wanting to sort of say say like to to to. To, to actually put that that out there, um, and and there's an even darker side from a biblical faith perspective. But let's deal with this first one first. Sure. Okay. So um, within this narrative of the uh, tying it back to the episode, because that is the the subject of which we're talking, uh, it's important to mention the examples of a self-deprecating narrative or imposter syndrome narrative that can be seen in the confrontation between Joran and Jadzia. Many alters and systems experience quite significant imposter syndrome as well as a fear that they may be making it up or faking it when looked at imperative when sorry as when looked at imperatively it could be seen as almost fantastical because you know if I were to say quite candidly there's not one of me there's nine of me we all have different names we all have different faces internally and we can see ourselves people would go that's ridiculous what on earth are you talking about when it's important to remember that these individual members or entire systems can reground themselves by centering and making sure their emotional and mental responses uh, can have enough evidence to contradict the fact that it is an unfortunately ever-present voice. So you're perfectly correct. Someone saying, um, someone saying that. Uh, they may be faking it or it may be made up is something that I deal with on a regular basis. Um, something that uh, a number of the more vulnerable members of our system deal with on a, on a regular basis. It is something that Hank deals with on a regular basis because it's very easy to take a second and step back and go, I have to be making it up. This is insane. This is ridiculous. But then it's very – it's just as easy, if not easier, to have evidence found to compound the fact that this is a very real thing that is done and is not being made up at all. I, I had to laugh because when I was looking at the user reviews on IMDb, there's a user review with the title that says, if one accepts the premise, it turns out to be fun. And the review goes like this. In the original Star Trek, some aliens have no corporeal form at all. They take over the bodies of some crew members with their permission. Of course, eventually they are expected to return and some choose not to. There's a bit of this going on here as Jadzia asks her closest crew members to allow her previous incarnations to inhabit their bodies. I guess when everything is made up, the writers can just make up some more stuff. If there is a real positive or future evidence of what Odo is, um, I do get tired of this Curzon guy at times. So it goes on to talk about But it actually, I think what you're saying there is really correct is to say, on the one hand, from the position of, and I'd use inverted commas here, normalcy, it's easy to assume that that this is a a, a delusion. Yeah, a fantastical right? imaginative delusion. And yet on the other hand, we're actually engaged in making meaning out of delusions in this podcast every single week. 
Um, and so the word delusion is actually not necessarily a negative no, in that regard, not at all. but actually a way of reconstructing reality in order to be able to interact with the universe given the, the scenarios that we have in front of us. It's been a very specific and very, very arduous task of um, being able to not convince ourselves but to reassure ourselves and reaffirm with ourselves that um, it's not fake. We're not insane. Um, funnily enough, in many of the instances and experiences of systems that have come forward and spoken about their experiences, many of them lead in with, at first I thought I was insane or possessed, um, which I believe is where you were going with the slightly darker, more biblical. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So, so I guess from the one side of it, you've actually got like 50 years ago, you would have been um, uh, incarcerated in a safe facility um, and medicated to the point where um, you were not able to express what was considered to be a delusionary state. Um, glad we've come a long way since then. 50 years um, ago, the only solution to dissociative identity disorder was uh, forced integration. It was to return the body back to being one body, one consciousness, um, which after having a look at it uh, and from all the information we've discovered and have read up about is more or less like death because the individual parts die. They no longer exist. And so having that conversation with members of our collective have been uh, has been quite I would say borderline traumatic because they don't want to die. They don't want to die. And no. that was another another um, uh, thing I wanted to pick up was that, that, that this, uh, this Odo Curzon, or as we, we, we were talking about shipping him as, as them as, as Ozon, which sounds pretty cool, um, uh, Ozon, um, does die. Like so this entity that, that, that was fully integrated um, actually um, – comes to an end and and it really reminded me of the episode in Voyager where Neelix and Tuvok and an orchid end up becoming Tuvix um, and there is a real dilemma at that end of that episode as Tuvik actually asserts himself as a person with rights who does not want to die um, and, and and so I, I think these two scenes they actually they, they really give us a strong sense of what's at stake in terms of forced reintegration. Yeah. But even, see, it, it on a smaller scale, right, we are very public and very candid, as you said, with our uh, multiplicity. We are a multiple. That is what we are. And our friends know us as the individuals. There, In fact, many of them, if not all of them, have gotten so good at being able to tell who is who that – we can walk into a room and they can go, hey, how you doing, Hank? Or how you doing, Joe? Or how you doing, Iko? Without having to say a word from the way we hold ourselves to the different clothing to regardless. But uh, I'm getting better at it too. I can do it on the phone now yes. from time to time, yes, which is also helpful. Uh, it doesn't help that you're not in person because in person is a lot easier. Um, there have been instances and there are instances in which we have to mask – uh, which is to say we have to pretend to be Zach. Yep. Which um, I have not 
I have only partially experienced it because I've only had to do it temporarily. Um, but someone who has had to experience it a lot has been Hank, uh, yep. who is our uh, protector, which is a word I keep saying, and I will get back to what that means because that is very specifically important. Um, having to act as an individual or having to act as Zach, as Zach when you haven't been Zach for a very long time is uh, very deeply wounding. It must be exhausting. It's exhausting. It's very deeply wounding, and it is at the at its core mostly just disappointing, because you can't be you. You have to be someone else. It it has given us a level of um, insight into the the journey that Elliot has had to take. Or the journey that many of the people within the LGBTQ community have had to take, where they've had to pretend so it's to a, be. It's a dysphoria, yeah. It is. And constantly, almost every day, we have to deal with a level of dysphoria. Because if I look in the mirror, I don't. This is not me. The, the face that I have is not mine. It is the body that we have and that we, that we make use of. But it's not my face. It may be my body. But it doesn't look like mine, if that makes sense. Yep, yep. Um, and there's a dramatic paradoxical irony here in that when people want to force integration on you because they have a belief that normality is that a person can only be um, the the form and the figure and the, the one that they always have been, um, they're denying the dysphoria of the of the altars and enforcing a new dysphoria um, back onto you. So so they're almost they're almost proving their own case by actually saying, um, uh, in order for me to accept you, I need you to be the image I have created of you, not the actual image of who you are or images of who you are. Yeah, it 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 brings back the concept of perception as being mostly uh, from the other. Mm. It means that, like at at our very core, your individual image is uh, it, it. Sorry, it enforces the concept that. At its, at its very core, your individual image is second place to the image of those around you. Around you, yep. So let's um, let's move briefly. I don't want to stay there very long, but briefly to the Ooh. biblical understanding yep. of, of, of this. So, sure. so we, we, we find ourselves in Mark's gospel. We are legion. We are many. Um, and and um, and Jesus exercises the multiple personalities from the individual who was frightening and dangerous and had to be chained up in order to protect society from them. Um, and then uh, the legion goes into the pigs, and the pigs all run down and drown themselves in the water, and everyone lives happily ever after. Exactly. Um, could there be a, an exorcism? Uh, is is it? Is it possible that you're actually inhabited by nine demons? I've just, I haven't just broken you, have <gasps> no, I? No, you haven't. Okay, <laughs> okay. Um, are you sure? Okay. Give me two seconds. <clears throat> um, hi. Hank, I don't wear a ring. Um, it's very easy to assume that there is a demon and to 
um, have that level of stigma of there being of of a person not being the same, being a demon. Um, funnily enough, before I was called Hank, my name was Beast. That was my title because I was designed and I exist to get the body out of. Uh, very, very, very bad situations and situations that could be physically harmful. I possess much stronger capabilities than the body typically has. I am able to lift, throw, move much faster. Um, I exist effectively entirely within a fight-or-flight response, which could be very simply seen as this is a demon or this is an evil entity. Um, for, if not the only reason that my voice drops and my posture changes and I'm a little bit gruffer and slightly less eloquent and polite. So, so I mean, I, 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 I thank you for coming and talking to us about this because I and and I guess can I can I assume from your your um, brave appearance because I know you don't like public speaking that. That this is this is a point of of defensive protection. Like, are you? Did you need to to to, to come out and actually deal with how how hurtful this this demonizing <laughs> of the condition is? Yes, in a sense, but also in a sense that um, as the uh, deciding triad, I suppose, of myself, Xavier, and Ico. Um, sorry. Hank, Xavier, and Iko. It's important to not use myself because it's only visual, not only verbal, not visual. Um, we have determined that we have the ability and the capability and position to change the stigma around DID and around other neurodiverse places. So, um, an example that I don't enjoy talking about, but I think is very important, is that. Um, the there was a horror movie that was released uh, maybe a few years ago now called Split. Um, the unfortunate thing about that is not that it uses it as a uh, story trope. Whilst that is bad, it's not the worst thing. The worst thing is that they are about ninety percent correct. Ninety percent of what they're saying about DID and or they call it multiple personality disorder is correct. It makes sense and it actually follows what happens and the way that works but then there is a very solid left turn as you know a body physically changes when there is a, a switch or there is someone who is uh, incessantly designed and designated to hunt and kill and destroy um which is hurtful and is is very demonizing in and of itself um, and can generate a sense of fear um, from the, from the population, yeah. you know, like this whole Jekyll and Hyde idea that's been there for for a long time, um, really creates a stigma that 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 could be quite debilitating. Mm. Funnily enough, it does fall into. So you were talking with Ico beforehand about um, whether it was a new thing or a discovered thing from a from the past. Um, it, I, as a cement, uh, cementing the idea that it is a discovered thing, um, for a long time, Zach had the belief that there was a Jekyll and Hyde 
situation happening because when they got angry, they would feel different. Their hands would burn. They would become more hostile. They would feel stronger and feel different. They would sound different. Um, that was me before most of my individual journey of being more than just the hostile and more than just uh, the antagonist of things outside. So we have to be very, very careful then when we're talking through our narratives, our biblical narratives and other things, that we're not um, generating a simplistic understanding of the complexity of neurodivergence. Uh, and I think that's that's actually really important when we're talking about all manner of different things. That you know, two thousand years ago when the Bible was written, we're operating with a with a very limited understanding of how the brain works and how personalities are, how gender is operating. And and, and so so all these different kinds of dysphoria and even things like epilepsy and eczema are actually uh, put into these unclean categories um, and placed, um, uh, and, and a moral judgment is placed placed. I mean, imagine being excluded from society because you had eczema. Yeah, it um, would be not great. Um, no, and would probably be much worse because you can't actually even control that. And that's, I think, one of the things is that the reason why they're so much worse than what they are is because. It is something that's not within your control. It is not a yep. choice. It's not a, a thing you get to choose. We didn't we didn't one day say, hey, wouldn't it be funny or wouldn't it be fun or exciting if there were nine of us? Um, yep. We exist because of things that have happened and we exist to prevent things happening in the future. Um, and during your drive, you could be calculating uh, pi to um, – uh, you know, uh, 10 decimal places. You could be going over the recipe for the food you'll cook later on in the day. You could be processing a conversation from a meeting that you were at yesterday. And and so uh, the body is driving the car, but the different aspects of the personality are, are doing actually, their own thing. Um, um, engaging in, in, yep. their, in their conscious or subconscious work. Yep. Uh, it's also interesting to talk about dysphoria, uh, for me specifically, because uh, internally, I am not human. Because my purpose was to protect, defend, and uh, intimidate. Humans are not very intimidating, but, you know, monsters are. So So the mirror doesn't help you very much. Oh, then. no, no. I don't do things with the mirror. Um, shaving is difficult, and I have to do shaving so that we don't accidentally hurt ourselves. Um but it's not a fun time. Um, there are ways to combat that. So for me specifically, uh, on the days when I'm feeling extraordinarily dysphoric, I will not walk around the house. I will instead use lateral movement and things that are more comfortable for me to get around the house in order to feel more comfortable. Um, yeah, so the, it's it's interesting to talk about dysphoria in terms of the the minor of like oh my face is slightly different and then to the extreme of this body is five foot six I am ten foot two. Yep, and some of the altars are actually um, of different gender. Yeah. Yep. So uh, Flynn identifies as being non-binary. So they 
subscribe to neither the male or female gender. They instead enjoy the, not chaos, but the creativity of being able to flow and switch between the two of them. Um, often changing multiple times throughout the day, regard depending on what they're feeling at any given time. Um, there are also those who are slightly more vulnerable um, that are of the that do subscribe to the female gender, um, and that is where they feel they fit. That is who they are. Um, well, look, I'm I'm very grateful for the opportunity to have the collective praxis on board so that we can actually um, allow Flynn and Adam and Annie and Hank and Ico and Garon and Xavier and Joe and Eddie to um, uh, allow us to explore the Dax Collective in its Jontara um, and to interact with Leela and Tobin and Emony and Audred and Tarias and Joran and Curzon. Didn't even get a chance today to talk about Yedrin. Uh, who hasn't come into being yet. Uh, later on is an episode where Yedrin Dax is a future Dax and Verad, who was the person who stole the Dax symbiont for a little while, um, but um, but didn't didn't get a chance to integrate. Uh, and then uh, the other one, uh, we, we, of course, we talked a lot about Jadzia today, but the other one is Ezri, uh, who is the um, host that comes after Jadzia. Um so it's um it's it's been fascinating to to look at the complexity and yet the simplicity of of DID and the way that for you trying to exist as Zach um um before um the the crash um was actually far less um uh, in te- had far less integrity and authenticity than the authentic way that you're living with integrity today uh, as a person who is this Praxis Collective. Yeah. It, it's also a lot more fulfilling to live now than it was then, um, as well as there is less like day-to-day strain, if that makes sense. It's easier to live like this than it was to live then, now I just want to finish off by saying that there might be people out there who are listening who are uh, who are masking, who are existing, um, um, and and have DID, but actually haven't had the opportunity to talk to anybody about that. You haven't taken this journey alone. You've actually had the support um, of qualified people, um, and um, and and so I want just to finish up, just to talk a little bit about. Uh, I guess what you would like to say to any listeners out there who um, from this conversation may have thought to themselves, hey, I've I've got something I need to investigate now. Um, They may have felt a sense of peace um, and 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 harmony um, listening to you talk today. Um, What 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 would you like to say to them? Honestly, the only thing, one of the few things I would like to say to them is that um, if something or anything that we have said resonates, talk with someone about it because it is a recognized thing within the DSM-5 and people who are curious about it will know what the DSM is and its fifth iteration. Um, it is a, a formal and understood diagnosis and condition. Um and in and of itself, even if 
you do not believe even if you have been told that the only solution is integration um that in of itself is a an older mindset that is more or less outdated it's it's not that it's not correct because that is definitely a course of action um we know of systems who have integrated through a period of time into being you know one or two like two or three or even just an individual themselves back back to an individual um that are perfectly happy and uh content with life because the key word here is forced isn't it i mean the key word here is actually forced Keyword is forced the fact that if if you are happy with multiplicity that um, public multiplicity works. Uh, it is possible to get a job. It is possible to live a quote-unquote normal life um, as that works. And at the risk of um, leading into an entirely different topic that you want to talk about with uh, the Dax symbiote, it is possible to have individual relationships as part of whilst whilst being a system. Um, just because you're a system does not mean you cannot experience all of these different things. It just means you need to slightly adjust or, um, I guess, influence the way that you are living. We've had to change things. You know, We have a notebook now. Or the notes on our phone is used pretty much every day. We have a whiteboard in our room that we can use to write up things because we will forget. Um, and it's not forgetting individually it's not communicating with somebody else um so i would say to anyone who is listening that that has even an inkling or a a a suggestion or or just the smallest piece of information that they think might this might resonate with to talk to someone about it um because it will become very apparent very quickly in talking to a professional person about this, that whether you are or whether you are are not, um, yes. and and what the best course of action will be. Um, and uh, I guess it's a bit like putting on a new pair of shoes. You know, they'll either wear in or they'll just remain very uncomfortable. And in that case, you should go and get another pair of shoes. Exactly. Um, yeah. No, that's good. Well, look, I am. Um, I, I really, as I've said already, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk through this episode called Facets today. Um, it certainly has given us the opportunity to unpack um, a very complex psychological episode with a very complex psychological neurodivergence. Um, and um, the more I um, investigate and I come to understand neuro- neurodivergence, such as um, and dyslexia and ADHD and dysphoria, um, the more I start to realize that uh, the human brain is more divergent than it is normal, uh, for whatever that might mean. Um, and so um, as, as we uh, begin to know more and more about ourselves and who we are, we actually are, are able to, to put aside superstitious notions or oppressive notions um, that actually may cause people to not be able to fulfill that one goal that is central uh, in in biblical narrative, and that is to live life in all its fullness. Um, In John 10.10, it says that the thief comes to kill and destroy, but I have come that you may have life in all its fullness. And certainly what I'm seeing is that uh, you are living life as a collective in all its fullness at this point in time.
I would definitely agree with that sentiment. We are indeed living much fuller now than we have done ever. So... Well, thank you for being a part of this uh, Jontara of Praxis. Um, uh, we'll now um, uh, um, put you all all back together again, um, and uh, we haven't had to use any bubbly mud or, or anything like that, um, but um, uh, certainly um, we are looking forward uh, to hearing from you again in the future, uh, and um, um, thanks for joining us. This has been the Deep Faith Nine podcast. If you'd like to uh, support uh, the Never Odd or even Media Patreon, then you can go to the Patreon site and support there. Um, be aware that uh, this week uh, we have uh, had um, the Patreon broadcasts, uh, so the Patreons get to to hear and see the broadcasts before they go to air. Uh, not with this particular one. It happens more regularly with... Um, with uh, Voyager um, because uh, it's at a regular time. Um, but uh, there is the odd um, uh, Deep Faith 9 one that gets promoted. Uh, also, we had the uh, Patreon bonus track on anxiety and science fiction um, as an interview with Captain Elizabeth Rainway uh, last week. So uh, if you're not a Patreon, I want to let you know that you are missing out. Uh, on additional content um, and uh, that I would encourage you um, not just because uh, I, I need your support but but because there is um, content there that uh, is worthwhile checking out. Uh, if you've got questions today for Praxis, um, you can put them in the comments section under this podcast uh, on the Facebook page Never Odd or Even um, and um, I, I would invite you as always to be respectful um, and um, courteous in, in your replies and responses um, but, but certainly um, Praxis is part of the Never Odd or Even Facebook community and uh, will endeavour to answer uh, any questions you've got uh, and put links in. And if at any point in time we have not answered a question, it's more than likely because someone who is not allowed access has uh, seen the question. So be patient. I'll be, I'll, 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 I can prompt as well. So, um, so that's um, uh, all of the plugging that I needed to do at the end of the episode, the arbitrary plugging like, like and subscribe follow. Um, but um, it's it's fabulous to know that there are so many of out you out, you out there. We only have a couple of episodes left to go. Uh, actually, this is our second last episode of the season. Wow! Um, so. Um, I will be flagging in next week's episode uh, where to from here because um, I do have some really interesting and fascinating um, podcast ideas coming up throughout August, September, and October. Uh, we'll be breaking out of the Star Trek universe and traveling into other universes. Um, the multiverse is out there, uh, and um, uh, it'll be an exciting thing to traverse those multiple universes. But uh, before this becomes uh, too long a podcast, uh, I'm going to sign off. I've been Will Nicholas, and this has been the Deep Fake Nine Podcast. Bye.